everyone, and welcome to OHSCA Interviews. I'm Vincenzo Calla, and I'm your host for today's episode. Today, I'm happy to have with me the MP for Wellington Halton Hills, the Honorable Michael Chong. Michael was first elected in 2004 and has been re-elected six times. In 2006, Michael served in the federal cabinet as president of the Queen's Privy Council, Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs, and Minister for Sport. Before becoming an MP, Michael acted as Chief Information Officer for the National Hockey League Players Association and as a Senior Technology Consultant to the Greater Toronto Airports Authority for the redevelopment of Pearson International Airport. Michael also co-founded the Dominion Institute, now known as Historica Canada. In 2017, Michael also took a run in the CPC leadership race. Michael currently serves as the Conservative Shadow Minister for Foreign Affairs. Thank you, Michael, for your time, and thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. We're great to have you, and we're going to start off the interview like we always do with our question and answer segment. And these questions come from our high school members. So the first question is, what is something that you have learned over your 17 years of being an MP that helps you serve your community better? Well, one of the things I've learned is that people who get involved can make a difference. You know, there's often uh, a lot of uh, apathy out there about politics. And what I've learned is that if you get involved, if you join a riding association, join a political party, if you get involved in a local election campaign during a provincial or federal election, if you run to be a candidate for nomination for a political party, if you run in an election, uh, if you get involved, you can make a big difference. And that's probably the one of the, one of the most important things that I've learned over the last 17 years. Those people who are involved make the difference. Um, if you don't get involved, you can't make a difference. Well, that's for sure. And that's really something that uh, a lot of people uh, that are in politics, whether they're your fellow MPs or whether they're still at the, uh, whether they're a staffer, or, um, just a community volunteer, that's the way that a lot of people get into politics by just getting involved, whether it's at a young age or old age, uh, older age, it doesn't matter when you get involved, it's just getting involved. And that's how a lot of our members are getting involved. We have a lot of members in our group who are just interested in politics and whether you want to run or just want to stay a volunteer, just getting involved is the best way to do it, asking questions and just talking about it and getting involved. Absolutely. And, you know, um, getting involved in politics is important because, you know, governments collect almost half of our economic output in taxes. And, you know, the other half that they don't collect in the form of taxation, you know, it's heavily regulated through uh, laws and regulations and policies that are put in place by various orders of government, federal, municipal, federal, provincial, municipal. And so if you don't, if you don't, if you're not interested in politics, if you're not following politics, if you don't vote, then you're essentially allowing other people to decide how your hard-earned tax dollars are going to be spent, how they're going to be collected, and allowing other people to have a degree of control over your life. And so that's why I think it's important for us to be us as citizens across the country to be engaged, to follow politics and to at minimum take the time to vote in elections. And especially as we saw throughout 
these past couple of years now over COVID, government plays a giant role in our lives. And by voting, like you said, and by getting involved, that you get to play a role too in trying to figure out what government you're going to be voting for and how your lives will be essentially impacted by the government who does play a role in our lives uh, greatly. And just uh, an ending note, politics isn't just about the the going into parliament and fighting and all that sort of thing. It's just community service to just volunteering in politics and your job as an MP, it's just serving the community uh, in whatever way you can as a parliamentarian, just like a doctor serves their community with health and that sort of thing, just sort of representing and serving your community. That's right. So we're going to go into the next question. And this question, uh, is from Brandon in Ottawa, and he just has a little um, a little thing that he sent me before to sort of lead up to the question. So with the recent political climate internationally regarding Taiwan with nations such as Lithuania becoming more open to cooperation with them, do you believe it's time for the Canadian government to be to open more dialogue and cooperation opportunities with the Taiwanese government? This comes from Brandon. Yes, I do think there's opportunities for closer cooperation between Canada and Taiwan, we have been calling for some time for the Canadian government to uh, advocate for Taiwan's inclusion at multilateral organizations like the World Health Organization and like ICAO, which is the uh, international organization that governs airlines. Uh, in both cases, Taiwan has a lot to contribute. You know, when you look at, for example, the World Health Organization, Taiwan has been uh, one of the world leaders in managing this pandemic. They were one of the first countries to track and identify the outbreak of COVID-19. Uh, they put in place effective measures to prevent the virus from spreading. They've been a key manufacturer of personal, um, personal health protections, personal protective equipment uh, for the pandemic. And they've also exported some of that uh, to the rest of the world. And so I think we can all learn from uh, what Taiwan has done uh, to combat the pandemic. And that's why we've called on the Canadian government to advocate for Taiwan's inclusion in organizations like the World Health Organization. So that's, those are some examples of where we feel that Canada uh, more closely with Taiwan Yeah, and I mean, especially uh, the Canadian government. There's a lot that they can that they can do to include, especially now going forward with foreign affairs. And as a foreign affairs shadow minister, you obviously look at some of these cases and look at the the role that the Canadian government can play. And again, back to COVID. I mean, this past these past couple of years show the relationships that we have with different countries and different uh, different nations and different governments. And I think it's important that the Canadian government continues to work with the allies that, that they have and continue to work collaboratively with them and build on those, uh, those partnerships that are just so important, like you were saying with, especially like Taiwan, who has done so much through the pandemic. That's right. I think there's, um, you know, Taiwan is a major economy. Uh, we think that the other area for cooperation is for Canada to advocate, advocate for Taiwan's inclusion in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, this is a, a big free trade deal that was recently 
negotiated between Canada and a number of countries in the Indo-Pacific region. It includes countries like Japan and Australia, uh, Malaysia, and we feel that Taiwan's inclusion in this treaty would benefit the members of this new trade agreement. Taiwan is a major manufacturer and uh, designer of semiconductors, which are found in pretty much all products that we purchase today. And so by uh, including Taiwan in this trade deal, we could mutually benefit our respective economies. Exactly. And we're going to go into the next question and look at foreign affairs in a different light, somewhat closer to home. So the third question is, how should the current government approach the new U.S. softwood lumber tariffs? Well, I think the current government, the liberal government, needs to rebuild our relationship in Washington. I think it's clear that Canada's standing has fallen in Washington in recent years. We have not only the doubling of the softwood lumber tariffs in the last, uh, recently, we also have um, the potential shutout of the Canadian auto industry from the electric vehicle market in the United States because of a provision that's working its way through the U.S. Congress that would favor U.S. manufactured electric vehicles and essentially shut out Canadian manufactured electric vehicles. We have uh, the U.S. government uh, recently targeting our dairy producers. Um, we have uh, ongoing issues with um, a North American energy framework. Um, the Biden administration canceled Keystone XL pipeline. Um, there's threats to shut down the Line 5 Enbridge pipeline from Michigan into Sarnia, Ontario. And there are so many other uh, problems um, in the bilateral relationship. And so uh, we think that the government needs to uh, take a, a much stronger stand in defense of Canadian workers and Canadian industry. And that begins by, <coughs> excuse me, that begins by putting in place a uh, whole of Canada effort involving premiers, business groups, uh, border city mayors uh, to put pressure on uh, the U.S. government to address some of these uh, trade issues. And so uh, the government hasn't done that. Uh, they seem to have an ad hoc approach, a one-off approach to dealing with each of these problems. And clearly uh, that one-off, that ad hoc approach isn't working. Um, so you know, as I said, we need a whole of Canada approach, all hands on deck, um, involving you know, all the resources of the federal government, along with uh, provincial premiers and provincial governments, business associations, um, civil society groups, in order to unstick some of the stickiness that has been put in place at the Canada-U.S. border. Well, especially over the past six years, it's been a very interesting time in Canada-U.S. relations with the American presidents and then Justin Trudeau having to sort of try and try and work together. It's been very interesting for U.S.-Canada relations. And I think that you you raised some really good points in terms of uh, just approaching it in a different way, I guess, by especially now all these issues, seeing them all coming at once, The like the car industry you were saying, and uh, Line 5 and the other pipelines, those are big issues as well. I mean, I know that like Recently, earlier this year, I guess I saw, well, bef after we interviewed her, I know Marilyn Gladue has been talking a lot about the pipelines, the Line 5 into Sarnia, and there's a lot of uh, issues that I think that Canada needs to work out and just software lumbers, just one more, like you were saying, and it'll take a lot to do that, but hopefully the government 
does something about it, right? I mean, yeah, I think, you know, it's clear that this government misread the incoming Biden administration earlier this year. They assumed that the Biden administration would be markedly different from the previous Trump administration in the way it managed the bilateral trade file. Um, and they that was a big mistake from, on part of the liberal government. Uh, the Biden administration has continued with many of the Trump administration's policies and in fact has doubled down on many of them. Um, and so, you know, we need a different approach. It, there needs to be a whole of Canada approach uh, to address some of these real threats to Canadian workers and Canadian industry. Look, one fifth of what we do in this country is for export to the United States. 20% of everything we produce in this country is exported to the United States. You know, but 75% of the $600 billion a year that we export goes across the border into the U.S. Uh, it's such an important um, part of our economy and the threats that we're seeing from these issues, whether it's EV tax credits or soft doubling of softwood lumber tariffs, the threat to close down line five and so many other issues need to be addressed with a much better whole of Canada approach than what the government has currently been doing. Definitely. And just you're right about that. And we'll go into the next question. Uh, we are going to go into the next question now. So uh, this one has a little intro to it too. So uh, when you ran for the conservative leader, you ran on a platform that included uh, a carbon tax. So now the current CPC leader has a carbon pricing platform as well. I know in the past election, there was a sort of a, a smaller version of it, a different version of a carbon pricing platform. Uh, so what do you think that the conservatives can do to be more serious about the environment while protecting our economy? And this one comes from Jack in Milton. Well, thank you, Jack, for the question. And good to see somebody on the show from Milton, Ontario, just south of where I live. Uh, I think that whatever conservatives do, we have a lot to contribute to environmental policy. And our approach should be based on conservative principles. Conservatives believe in limited government. We believe in free enterprise. We believe in the power of markets. Uh, and we believe in lower taxes. And I think we can accomplish those things uh, through smart environmental policy. A lot of the environmental policy that the Liberal government has put in place in recent years is very inefficient and comes at a very high cost per ton of emissions reduced. We need to be smarter about how we reduce emissions. We need to reduce emissions in a much more cost-effective way uh, so that we don't unduly burden Canadian industry and Canadian families. And so, you know, my view is that principles based on the power of um, free markets, uh, principles based on the power of lower income taxes um, can drive a conservative agenda on climate change and the environment that accomplishes the two goals of not only reducing emissions, but creating prosperity and economic growth across all sectors of the economy and for all Canadians. Well, it's, it's really important that obviously we had a really good uh, uh, environment platform in the past election, just recently, a couple months ago, there was, it was great. There was a, a, an environment plan like never seen before from the Conservative Party that was really good. And I think that it's important that you say that we need to continue our using our principles of our basic conservative principles and ideologies and sort of transform that into 
an effective uh, climate change plan because climate change is real. And obviously it's a big issue facing our, our world. And it's, it's something that all parties that want to form government should, uh, should take seriously. And it's great that our party is doing that and using those principles, like you said, and as we had on, uh, on our last episode of last season, right before the election, or just as the election started, uh, a, a former candidate, Andrea Johnson said, it's in our name, conservatives conserve. So it's just important that we conserve the environment while using our conservative uh, platform to sort of bring it out and show it in a different way. Absolutely. Look, uh, at the root of what it means to be a conservative is to believe in conservation, conservation of our environment, of our resources, and conservation of, of you know, the beautiful, beautiful natural heritage that we've inherited in Canada. And, you know, we should be proud of the record of conservative governments in the past. In fact, uh, it was Brian Mulroney who led a conservative government in the 1980s uh, that was voted the greenest prime minister in Canadian history. And he was voted uh, that award uh, by environmental groups themselves who came together to judge which government had the best track record in Canadian history on environmental issues. And it was a conservative government led by Prime Minister Brian Mulroney in the 1980s. This was a government that negotiated the Acid Rain Treaty uh, with President Reagan that cleaned up a lot of the lakes uh, across the boreal forest of the north, across the iconic Canadian Shield, um, lakes that were dying because of acid rain. Well, he negotiated that treaty, convinced a, you know, a, a skeptical American president that this was really necessary, and we got the deal done. Um, he was the Prime Minister that put in place a green plan uh, for the environment. Um, so we've got a proud record of on the environment, um, and you know if we come forward with policies based on conservative principles, as I said earlier, we can ach achieve the twin goals of not only accomplishing our emissions reductions, but doing so in a way that makes our economy more efficient, um, creates economic growth, creates productivity growth, and creates prosperity for all Canadians. Well. It's great that you say that because uh, Prime Minister Mulroney uh, took those steps in the 80s, like you said, who did, he did so many great things for the environment as a, as a progressive conservative, as a conservative. And, and obviously, well, he's one of my favorite prime ministers, as you can look around, you can figure out what era is my favorite of world of uh, Canada, US, British politics, you can figure that out. But just generally, I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn and lots of things that we can continue to build on and look at the issues of today and approach them with a, a great conservative standpoint. So we're going to go into the next segment, which is called Advice for the Next Generation, where we talk about youth involvement in politics and more. So we always ask this one question to every single person that comes on our show. So we ask, what should young high school conservatives do in order to get more politically active? And what is one piece of advice that you would like to give them? Well, I think young high school students should continue what they're doing, which is to join the high school uh, conservative club and then after high school to stay involved. That's the most important thing. I first got interested in federal politics when I was in high school. My member of parliament was Perrin Beatty. Uh, he was a conservative member of parliament uh, who represented our riding in the 1970s, 80s, and early 90s. And he used to come visit our school to talk to us about what was going on in Ottawa. And that got me interested at that young age while I was still in high school. After high school, I remained involved. I 
I joined the campus club at the university I was attending at the time at the University of Toronto. I went to national and provincial conventions and stayed involved. Uh, through those conventions, through that involvement, I met a whole network of people who would become very good friends of mine, uh, who we shared a lot of a lot in common and friends that uh, helped each other as we um, sought nominations and eventually um, got elected to federal office. So that's my advice uh, to young people in high school is to get involved, to stay involved after high school, uh, to join your local campus club or to join your local writing association, go to national conventions, uh, get to know uh, a network of friends and acquaintances uh, at these conventions and in these writing associations, in these campus clubs, and you'll build lifelong friendships. Um, that won't just be about politics. Um, it'll be a way to enrich your life while at the same time contributing to the future of this country. Well, that's some great advice. And I know that as I'm in grade 12 now, I'm in the process of applying to universities and finding out what universities I'm going to. And part of my research of what universities I'm going to is looking at the campus clubs and looking at the campus conservative clubs and seeing, okay, what's each club sort of like? I mean, that's my little political nerd moment by not only applying to universities, but looking at their campus clubs as well and seeing, okay, that's what their campus club is like. Okay, that's pretty cool as well. So it's, yeah, like you said, just stay involved and especially at the grassroots level, that's so important. If you have the time, obviously, well, unfortunately this year, I'm super busy with a whole bunch of things. So I can't join my writing board just yet, but I hope to soon. It's just so important that you find any way to get involved in on the grassroots level and getting involved with, with a whole bunch of different conservative people that you can share interests with is just so important, like you said. So that is all for today. Thanks, Michael, for your time today. We really appreciate you being with us. We wish you well in the future. And that is all for today. And before we go, as this is our last episode before Christmas, I just want to wish all our viewers and listeners a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year on behalf of the OHSCA team. It's uh, We're going to be back with some new episodes of OHSCA interviews in the new year, hopefully around uh, early to mid-January. We're going to take a little break for the next two, three weeks, hopefully, and uh, we'll be back soon in the new year. So make sure to follow our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok accounts at Ontario HS Cons for more info about our next interview and for more great content. Make sure to look at our website at OntarioHSConservatives.org to learn more about us, see our projects, and for more great content. For our YouTube viewers, make sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel, and don't forget to click the notification bell so you never miss a video. For our podcast listeners, make sure to follow us and stay updated with new episodes. Thank you all for coming, and we hope to see you all soon.